Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 112 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, please check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. While you are there, check out our 2022 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or crossover. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the stuff we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun stuff. And, and this is so important, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. Of course, you can download them anywhere, too. All right, let's see who's online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the Internet. Hey, Jill Simonillo. Hey, Tom Appel. I, I don't know what happened in my notes, but Jill Simonillo's not here, and I almost called you <laughs> Asset Light. Well, you know. That's my next note, Asset Light. As long as you're not calling me Salmonella or uh, Citronella, we're good, because that's usually where what I get from Simonella. So. I do that, too. Yeah. Not by accident. Cinderella, however, I would totally take that. So, so Jill, do you remember the term asset light? No, I've got nothing. You got nothing? It was I got nothing. It was a startup that's using this term. Okay. Nothing? Nothing. Fisker. Huh. Uh, maker of the Fisker Ocean, which was launched at the uh, LA Auto Show. Yes. Fisker's been using the term asset light. And what that means for a startup EV company is they don't own a lot of stuff, right? They don't have <laughs> stores, franchises, right. uh, repair facilities, none of that. They're, they're going very light, so there's not a lot of capital commitment. So I found out a little bit of what that means yesterday, and I don't know if you heard this news, but Fisker entered into, entered into an agreement in Europe, in, in France, with um, automaker um, uh, Bridgestone, and they're going to use Bridgestone tire facilities <laughs> in their repair shops. Okay. So they, They've contracted with an established maintenance uh, purveyor for, for their stuff. So, again, they don't need dealerships, right, if they can do something like this. That is correct. That That is an interesting solution, actually. Um, one I wish that um, another electric automaker would, you know, maybe visit in the United States. Yeah, I thought that was cool, too, and I didn't know where this was all going, and I hadn't thought about it that hard, but we should be watching for a similar announcement here in the U.S., yeah, no, I, I think that's an interesting idea. Um, I have a brother-in-law who owns an electric car, and whenever anything goes wrong, it's like, okay, where do you take it to get fixed? And, um, you know, they send a mobile unit to you. And, uh, but I, I don't know, I just, the idea of waiting on somebody else rather than taking it yourself and dealing with it immediately. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see where this goes. Mm -hmm. All right, he's the senior editor here at Consumer Guide, and he's super into the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard. Welcome, Damon Bell. Uh, Tom, can you please give me back my copy of Dianetics? I have <laughs> for quite a while now. Can published you manifest in 1950. It? That was published in oh. 1950. Huh. Dianetics. Dianetics. What was, what was the movie, what was the science fiction movie that was a total bomb that starred... John Travolta, who I think is famously or was famously a Scientology member. 
That was Battlefield was that? Earth. Battlefield Earth. Did you see it? I, I have seen it, and it's it's as bad as you heard. <laughs> is it, it good bad? Like, no. is it so bad it's it's just so bad it's bad? No, it's boring. It's bad. Okay. But funny thing about that, years and years and years ago, a buddy of mine went to something called the uh, Mammoth Music Mart, which was an annual sale to raise money for different charities. And what they sold was records, mostly. Records, cassettes, LPs. There weren't a lot of CDs yet. And I got to the Mammoth Music Mart, which was a weekend event held somewhere very close to our office here in Illinois. Um, and I got there late in the weekend, and the only LPs left were Space Jazz by L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So you bought it, of course, right? No. No, I do not. Have, <laughs> I should have gotten a copy because they're becoming rare. Huh. When Space was Jazz. That, when was that album recorded? Like in the 80s. And it's oh, also terrible. It's okay. terrible. Hmm. Space Jazz by L. Ron Hubbard. I do not recommend it. I imagine. I think, can, I think you can download it. Okay. I imagine like once you sign up for Scientology, the, that record probably comes with your welcome packet or something. <laughs> <laughs> they, got, they were able to unload a few cases that way. Yeah, that and an <laughs> autographed photo of John Travolta. Sure. In full costume from whatever weird character he played in <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Didn't he have like crazy dreadlocks and like yeah. he had, like contact lenses, so they look kind of his eyes look sort of cat-like or something? Very strange. Yeah, and braided nose hair, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so for being a really bad movie, you guys know way too much about it. <laughs> I'm just well, gonna put that out be, there. You can't. It's one of those things you sort of can't look away. It's so strange. You no, <laughs> I know things this... about Caddyshack too, as well. <laughs> But that's a story. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about that next week. Okay. <laughs> when we also have time to kill, Damon. Sure. What's coming up on the show today? We've got our good friend, uh, and I would I would just say he's got a platinum jacket at this point. He's one of yeah. our favorite. The platinum edition. Yeah. Yes, we've got we've got Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions on the show today. He's the perfect guest for us to have a bit of a year in review chat um, as we're kind of winding down the crazy year that was 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be fun to bring Sam on in the next segment. But for the first segment, let's talk about uh, a vehicle that just had its press event launch earlier, uh, actually just last week, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the redesign for 2022 Subaru WRX. Um, the WRX, of course, is the hot rod version of Subaru's Impreza compact car, although with this new generation, there is more of a difference between the WRX and the Impreza than there has been in the past. Yeah, and in, fact, in fact, Subaru is trying to, to create that distance in our minds. They are not the same cars anymore. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and it occurs to me that in a lot of ways, the WRX is kind of in a class of one. It's, it's really one of the more distinctive performance cars on the market and just really one of the more distinctive cars in general. Yeah. It's based on a mainstream compact car. But it is a rally racing car inspired uh, street performance machine. Yeah, and the closest thing to it was the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution. Evolution. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's gone right. now. 
yes. gone for and, several and years. <laughs> can you and that and and when you know we were working up this article, our editor at large, Don Sikora, drove attended this press event uh, and drove the vehicle for us. But as we were kind of preparing the article, I of course had to look up the Lancer evolution, and it's it was discontinued after 2015. And that's, that it's ago. already been mm-hmm. seven years that it's gone. And yeah, yeah that was definitely one of my favorite vehicles was, was sad to see it go. But uh, yeah, time flies. It's already been uh, gone for seven model years. For a while, we used to joke about Mitsubishi's use of the Lancer Evolution as, <laughs> as, as, as a carrot to, of sorts. Yeah, to draw people to press events. You'd go there to see a new Outlander or a new other vehicle, and, and basically you would drive whatever new vehicle it was to a racetrack so you could drive the Evo on the racetrack. Yes, yes. yes. Which they was understood. always fun. I yes, remember those un- events, yes. They, uh, they, Mitsubishi well understood that the Lancer Evolution was a powerful lure to get journalists to attend launch events for vehicles that maybe weren't quite as enticing. The one that I attended, that where Tom, yes, they did that exact same strategy, was the all-but-forgotten Mitsubishi Raider pickup truck, which was, which was essentially a Dodge Dakota in disguise. And the Dodge Dakota has been gone for quite a while, too, now. So uh, every now and again, I see a, a Raider pop up uh, on Facebook or Twitter in an auto journalist's uh, uh, account, and everyone's, I forgot these things even existed. <laughs> Well, you know, so you made a really interesting correlation about how people would use uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, the Lancer Evo to, to draw people in to test drive, you know, something that was less exciting. But one of the interesting things that I think that uh, Subaru has done with the WRX and then its entire lineup is the WRX has the same engine that you get in. Uh, so I'm driving the, the Outback Wilderness right now. That's the same engine. And so, you know, Subaru is in a much more different position where, okay, yeah, that is definitely a draw, the WRX, but you've got a lot of fun in the rest of their lineup, too. It is, and it's technically it's based on the same engine. There are significant uh, engineering differences, like unique valve springs, uh, there's a, you know, turbo modifications with the different wastegates so it the wrx is not going to feel like a subaru <laughs> ascent in any way what do you mean uh, it's not going to feel like that <laughs> and it's a 2.4 liter turbocharged flat four which means a horizontally opposed four-cylinder engine which really gives it a, subarus just have a very distinctive uh sound and feel mm-hmm. and that's Part of that's one of the things that's that's appealing about them and, and gives them a unique character is just the layout of the engine. Uh, it's a, this it's a new pretty engine, noise, but it's a good mm-hmm. noise. It yeah. is, it is, and and as as anybody who's experienced a Subaru uh, auto stop start feature will tell you, that horizontally opposed engine can be a little bit uh, more coarse. Yeah, a little like a, a, a <laughs> Subaru auto start start stop, uh, not as smooth as as your typical no. auto stop start system. That's part of it, but yes, a, a performance car like the WRX wears that character a lot better. This yeah. new engine is 2.4 liters, bigger than the previous 2 liter four, 271 horsepower, um, which isn't much more than the previous engine, but that extra displacement gives it a little bit better uh, low-end power and feel. So I'm very anxious to drive it. 
the other thing that is interesting about the new WRX is they the step up it, it comes standard with a manual which mm-hmm. amazingly has a surprisingly high take rate based on the statistics that we were given 85% yeah. of the previous w- generation WRX buyers chose the manual which is astonishing mm-hmm. in this day and age well, Subaru really has is. the highest manual take rate, I think, of any automaker, too. Yeah. So probably because of I, that. And and I know the Subaru BRZ sports car, which is their version of the Toyota 86, has a similarly high manual take rate. I understand that one a little bit better than the WRX, just the WRX being a kind of more uh, mainstream-shaped compact sedan. Uh, but, yeah, this it, – it, so the – six-speed manual standard but there is an optional automatic which has been is essentially a revamped cvt but subaru does not want to call it a cvt because (laughs) continuously continuously variable transmissions don't have the best reputation as performance vehicle transmissions so subaru is calling their revamped transmission in the new wrx the subaru performance transmission and they they do have a spt spt and they do have a manual mode uh that mimics the feel of eight separate gears so i have a feeling that again we'll know when we actually get behind the wheel and drive it i have a feeling that that spt will deliver a pretty good performance feel but as of yet we don't know and nobody knows because the only vehicles on the press event were six-speed manuals i think there are chip Mm -hmm. shortage issues that have made it so even getting cars to a press launch event is tricky so there's only (laughs) only people have driven manuals so far the other interesting engineering uh, addition in the top-line model of the new WRX, which is called GT, uh, there is an adaptive damper suspension, which is a new bit of technology that the WRX hasn't had before. So it'll be interesting to see how Subaru pulls that off as well. And, and the GT is automatic only, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting uh, That's an interesting thing to do to a car with such a high manual transmission take rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you wonder if they might circle back and offer that upgraded adaptive suspension on the stick shift cars. But, Tom, as you and I were talking about the other day, one significant, uh, a few significant things that you can't get on a manual WRX that is something of an industry trend as well, uh, Subaru's, uh, uh, the Subaru EyeSight suite mm-hmm. of driver assist features not right. available on the the manual transmission cars which we've seen other makers do that as well so if you want those things like you know forward collision warning automatic braking things like that you can't get those with yeah adaptive manual. cruise control mm-hmm. right and, I and think I, bas- basically anything <laughs> that can bring the vehicle to a complete stop and in the case of a manual kill it because yeah. you stall out the vehicle you can't get in a manual transmission car so well, what I, we know, don't know about, I'm sorry, Jill, go ahead. I was going to say, I, what I remember is Toyota used to offer um, some of those features, like it was the Scion IA or whatever when in, in the manual transmission, but it didn't offer like anything that took you all the way down to a stop. So it, to me, it's a little bit weird that um, you can't get some mix of the eyesight features with a manual transmission, but they, they're just, you know, they're making a, a clean break and they're saying, nope. 
Yeah. Well, you I basically have to somewhat automate the manual to make that stuff work. Otherwise, you end up in a dangerous situation where you may be stalling out the vehicle. Well, if you turn off automatic cruise control at 30 miles per hour, you wouldn't stall out the vehicle. Oh, oh okay. You're talking about putting in the, the limited systems. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think that those no longer pass muster with consumers as being very valuable. Mm. But what we don't know about yet is the WRX STI, which is the higher performance version of the vehicle. And apparently Subaru has announced that they'll have news within six months to two years. So it may be some time <laughs> before we hear yeah. anything there. Yeah, depending on the chip shortage. Uh, we, it, one other thing, like I, just looking at the photos, um, the interior has received a huge, huge upgrade. Um, you know, the photos I've seen, it has that 11 point, I think, is it a six inch screen? So it's got the screen that we've seen in the Outback and um, the, you know, some of the other vehicles. And I, I, I don't know the last time you guys drove a WRX, but the last time I drove a WRX, it felt very um, not tech forward and, and a little bit yeah. ish. Um, but this looks really nice. Yeah, the previous WRX, I think it, it the, previous generation WRX debuted for 2014 so mm -hmm. man a lot of stuff have, has happened in general and even more stuff has happened infotainment wise since then so mm -hmm. this this redesign uh, was definitely maybe even a little bit overdue and speaking of pictures we would be remiss in not mentioning uh, the the body styling of the new WRX is new in most of the ways you would expect but there's one a uh, styling choice that Subaru made that I think is a little bit controversial, and that is the SUV-style matte black fender and lower mm. body moldings mm -hmm. on the WRX. Uh, do you guys have a thumbs up or thumbs yeah, down on I, that? No, they're weird and incongruent. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a to be continued or to be decided, a TBD, because um, it reminds me of their wilderness models, because you know with the extra cladding. But yeah, now I'm TBD on that one. Now, the Subaru yeah, explanation I, for that has to do with aerodynamics, and they make a pretty good case. I was reading a couple of different things today about it, how the surface texture of the black mat area goes a long way to keeping air adhered to the vehicle as the vehicle travels down the road. Uh, but they don't actually tell us to what extent that improves fuel economy or the aerodynamic yeah, number. Yeah, so. that, that seems that, that I'm a little dubious about that. And and they could have they could have had those uh aerodynamic moldings and still had the the wheel flares body color and had them not stick out as much mm. uh our guy don points out that the effect is a bit is a lot less jarring if you have a darker paint color on the car if you've got like white or orange on the wrx those black moldings are really going to jump out mm -hmm. darker colors including that uh the wrx's signature uh, World Rally blue color, they blend mm. in a little bit better. As far as I'm concerned, if there was a performance vehicle that you might want to put uh, off-roady SUV-esque fender flares on, the Subaru WRX is a pretty good one, just yeah. because of that rally car heritage and mm -hmm. that sort of idea that no, this is a vehicle that you can barrel down gravel roads or, you know, uh, all more. it's a slightly more all-terrain performance mm -hmm. vehicle with its all-wheel drive and kind of rally car heritage than a Camaro or a Subaru BRZ or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, and to a great extent, too, we need to thank Subaru for even bothering with this car anymore. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, in 2020, they sold about 20,000 of these, which isn't nothing, but it's not huge volume compared to the kind of volume they do with things mm. like Outback. So I'm just glad that this car with some character uh, is still being produced, and I'm looking forward to driving it. Do we know when this goes on sale? Um, the manual cars will be first. Uh, I believe that one might be like February-ish of 2022, and then uh, if all goes well, the automatic, the super performance transmission cars and the GT models with that adaptive suspension will probably follow March, April-ish of next year. Sounds good. All right, we were talking about the Subaru WRX, which is completely redesigned for 2022. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we talk to Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Stick around. Hey, it's Tom. Did you know that with Electrify America's vast electric vehicle charging network, you can now drive your EV from coast to coast? And with their ultra-fast charging stations, you'll get back on the road even faster. With more than 650 convenient locations nationwide, just pick your destination and hit the road. Visit electrifyamerica.com and see how Electrify America is bringing freedom to EV drivers. That's electrifyamerica.com. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the show when I strongly suggest that you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today knows seemingly everything about the auto industry. He is the Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting with Auto Forecast Solutions. Welcome back to the podcast, Sam Fiorani. Like always, this is great to be here. Sam, you, uh, Joe suggested that you now get the platinum jacket for most <laughs> visits. <laughs> nice. Now, is John, John, John Beal has more visits, but he's contractually obligated, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll take that one then. All right. Platinum jacket for you. It's in the mail. Sam, it's been a crazy year. Uh, perhaps oh, crazier. Oh, it absolutely has been. If, if you looked back on 2021 and wanted to remember the two or three craziest things that happened, what would you say they were? Well, you can't mention 2021 without talking about semiconductors. You know, the yeah. semiconductor issue has just slowed down production, and then that snowballed into everything else that that has happened this year. The lack of new vehicles, the lack of used vehicles, the spike in prices. It's just, it, it all snowballed from, if we go back, it snowballed from COVID last year. So uh, it's it's been a, a very odd year. And uh, and one of those years that uh, that goes down in history, especially as a forecaster. I think the craziest thing about this year is that there's so much behind the scenes stuff that happened, specifically mm -hmm. the chip shortage. But but the effect uh, on the retail side affected everybody. The average price, the average transaction price of a car went up in what was it, 12 months, 18 months, from about 40, from about $37,000 to what is it now, $44,000, $45,000. So every consumer became aware of this. And additionally, consumers can't get the cars they want right now. They more or less have to take what they can find. And taking what they can find is the reason why the prices have gone up so much. Uh, on the supply side, if you're a manufacturer and you only have so many chips, you're going to you're going to put out the most profitable vehicles. So that just 
increases the price of the vehicles on the show on the showroom floor and on the lots. And now you as a consumer only have those to choose from. So if you're going to buy a vehicle, it's got to be one of the more expensive new vehicles. Then you add on to that that there are so few vehicles out there, there's no room to negotiate, which boosts the yeah. price even further. So it's, it's nope. just a, a big avalanche of, of different things that has happened. Yeah, no one, no one is, no one is making base model vehicles right now. It's <laughs> top of the line stuff. Yeah, and that yeah. is one of the stranger elements of this room thing. to negotiate on them. Yeah. So, as far as you can tell, how close are we to things getting better? Yeah, it's this is the the big question we've had for almost a year now. When is it going to change? When are we going to get better? The signs are improving. There are fewer companies announcing that they're slowing production, but that is kind of because it's the end of the year and they had already planned on shutting production down for the last week or two of the year. So there's not a lot of room. And if we roll into January and then they start shutting plants down again, then we know this is a lot worse than we thought it was. But we're hoping, because so few announcements have been made for January, that we're coming out of it, that production will be slow, but it'll ramp back up. And that at some point next year, production should be normal. And then following the normalization of, of production, then we should see vehicles back on lots. And how long will it take to fill those gaps right now? I don't know what there is on the road. A 20, 30-day supply of vehicles maybe in the pipeline. How long to get that back to normal? Uh, it, it, it will take quite a, distant, quite a, a bit of time because the, the factories were running near full out before. So it, there's not a lot of extra space to to have overtime in addition to the overtime you already planned to fill in all the lost vehicles, uh, fill the backlog. It's just going to take a long time to get there. So if we're if we're down 30 days supply from where they want to be, it's going to take at least 60 days to produce enough vehicles to fill in most of that. So it's it's going to it's going to be the second half of 2022 before we start to see any sort of normalization if we if the semiconductor chip shortage works its way out. And speaking of normalization, so obviously manufacturers bet wrong, right? They bet that sales would would decrease massively during during the COVID era, and in fact they de decreased only a little and only for a short period of time. It seems to me, and maybe you can. Have a, you have a better feel for this, but 2021 probably would have been a record sales year had things been normal. Is that your sense? Uh, possibly not record, but it would have been a really good year because you had such a downturn last year and all the people who would have normally traded in their vehicle would have been on the market, plus the people who would have been on the market in 22 normally. So they, you had a, 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 a double whammy there of buyers coming in those buyers had to find something else or fix their existing car or make do with not upgrading, whatever it was. So the, we lost those buyers. We lost uh, some of the 21s, probably some of the 22s. Uh, when this all comes out and we, and we get things normal again, we should see a really good sales year. But uh, the, like we said before, the prices are higher and manufacturers have decided that they don't need to have as many vehicles on the lots. So that's going to boost the price even more, and it'll probably shake some people out of the out of the market eventually. 
Speaking of car stuff a lot, do you think manufacturers will, or not manufacturers, I'm sorry, but retailers, do you think car retailers will go back to maintaining as much of an uh, inventory allotment as they used to? The idea is that they've learned a lot from this, that they don't need to have the inventory they, they used to have. My thought on it is that we're, it's a very competitive market out there. And so somebody, the, the manufacturer is going to push from the top to get more volume and the, the dealers are going to want to sell more. So they're going to need more, more inventory to make sure that you have what you want on the lot. We, we may not get back to 60, 70, 80 days worth of, of inventory, but we definitely get somewhere back above 40 or 50. So there will be less vehicles on the lot, but more than, definitely more than we have today. One thing that's antithetical to the traditional sales model is ordering a vehicle, right? People used to go to a dealership, and I sold cars for a while, and, and this was totally beat into my head, that when a customer came to a lot to check out a car, you tried to sell them a car that day. And that's not a thing that's really possible now because we can't find the car they want and the color they want. But I would think that to some extent, dealers are going to want to have at least enough inventory so that someone who walks in can get more or less the vehicle they want to get. That, that's the traditional selling way, method of selling in the United States. It doesn't work that way around the world because if you're in Europe or, or in Asia, you, you tend to order your vehicle. And Americans want instant gratification. I want to I, I buy a car today. I'm going in to buy a car today. I have the, the money, the financing, or the dealer will set up the financing right there. Like you said, everything will be ready for you to walk out with a new car that day. Uh, I, I sold cars briefly, uh, poorly, but briefly. And uh, we, it was beat into our head too. You you come in, you buy a car. That that person better not leave without signing a paper. And uh, and every person who did, I heard it from from the sales manager. That's how this business works in the United States. Getting buyers to shift from from what's on the lot to exactly what they want and ordering it that delays the gratification I get from getting a new vehicle for a month. So it's, it's mm. not the American way. It's not what the buyers are used to. It'll take a generation to change that. Well, and I, I think that's a really interesting point because Ford is trying to make that shift right now. And, and you saw it with the Maverick, you saw it with the Bronco, where they really wanted people to place a reservation, make an order. Um, and But it kind of, I don't want to say failed, but it, it didn't necessarily turn out incredibly favorably for them. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they, they got all these orders that they can't fulfill, and now you have a lot of unhappy people. Um, and, and so I think in reaction, you have somebody like uh, Chevrolet, who, you know, they're coming out with their new, um, what is it, the Silverado ZR2, and um, they have expressly stated, you're not allowed to reserve it, you have to come into the dealership. Um, I, I mean, so do, do you... Do you think Ford will be able to to move forward with this, you know, made to order or is, you know, somebody like Chevrolet going to win out where they're still forcing you back to the dealership or will there be an amalgamation of the two? It'll some it'll be somewhere in between because uh, this is a, a very competitive market, especially yeah. when on the car sales side where you're competing against a dealership that's just down the street. You know, car dealerships in the United States are in uh Car sales row, the the auto mile, they're all right there. It makes it real easy. And then when you add in buying online, I can go to dealers within 100 miles of my house just sitting at my desk. So it, 
the competition is really strong uh, in a normal year, mm-hmm. and it's just going to get stronger with online buying. With uh, uh, when inventories come back and dealers like see the money that they can put, potentially make by selling a car today, you're just going to need to turn those vehicles over and and keep the salesperson, the the buying person there, and drive them out in something today. It it takes a long time to shift this mindset of getting exactly what I want in a month rather than what you have on the lot today. Right. Yeah. I mean, I went, I went car shopping with uh, a friend of my mother-in-law's and, you know, she wanted to walk out with a car today. So, I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, that, that generation that I want the car right now, but it, I think you're right. Like the, the millennials, the younger people who are coming up through the, the, the process, you know, it's not right now. It's, I want exactly what I want and they'll, they'll wait for it. So, yeah, no, I, I can see that happening. But like you said, that'll that'll take a generation to get to get those people into yeah. uh, of being afford to buy a car and then buying exactly <laughs> what they want. When when I sold cars, my favorite story was this this uh, middle aged woman had I guess never bought a new car, and so she came in and picked out this. She saw this car on the street. She wanted it. She tech, took a test drive, and when we pulled back in from the test drive, she goes, "So do I just write you a check?" Like, oh, that's a dream. That's that's exactly yeah. what I want to do. Yes. I I, I got to take you inside. I got we got to got to fill out some paperwork here. <laughs> so so Sam, I want to I want to shift it a little bit here as we're kind of covering the year in review here. I want to get your take on a handful of vehicles, maybe even the uh, one vehicle over the others. What would you consider to be the most significant new vehicle introductions that uh, for for twenty twenty one? Well, the, since the Bronco and the Bronco Sport probably came out late last year, uh, the Bronco came out this year uh, on the in the retail side. So the Bronco is definitely a story for this year. Uh, mm-hmm. People are just waiting for those, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's been hampered by supply issues. But people really want that new Bronco. Uh, Ford has a double whammy with the Bronco and the Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's mm-hmm. talking about this affordable pickup truck, and it's been uh, how many years since the last true small pickup truck was on the, the U.S. market? And truck buyers go, you know, I really liked my Datsun back in the 70s or uh, the Ford Courier or all these small trucks, traditional small trucks that haven't been on this market in so long. Well, now they get their, their wish. There's a affordable small truck on the market and it gets great gas mileage and it's actually usable with a back seat. It's a, a very significant addition to the market. And if Ford and the similar uh, Hyundai become hits, we may see more of these hitting the market in the next few years. Yeah, I think if I had to narrow it down to a single vehicle, I would probably pick the Ford Maverick as the most significant new product introduction of 2021 calendar year. Just because it, it, I don't recall anybody clamoring for a new super compact pickup, but once the Maverick was shown, it just seemed to, everyone seemed to love it. And as mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about how these transaction prices are just rocketing skyward, the Maverick is so resolutely focused on affordability mm-hmm. 
you know, and it is built to a price. There's lots of cheap looking interior plastics, but because of the design and the way it was put together, it is appropriate to the vehicle and the personality of the vehicle kind of gives those lower rent uh, materials a pass. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been years since uh, the, the crossover craze has, has taken over and every new vehicle is a crossover. And every time somebody announces a new one, I, I, we always get the question, well, when is it going to end? You know, when is too many models too much? And, right. <laughs> and then the Maverick came out and the Maverick kind of fills that niche where it's, it's a pickup truck, but it's technically an entry level crossover. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't have a cover over the back. Uh, and that is another, it, yes. And that's another key point uh, because the Maverick shares a lot of its internals with the Escape. That's a big part of the reason they can offer those cheap prices is that there is so much internal commonality with other products in Ford's lineup. Right, yeah. exactly. And it, this is this is a, a necessary thing when you're coming out with a twenty twenty five thousand dollar vehicle is to make sure that that you can share parts across a bunch of different vehicles, so that so that it pays for itself and uh, and you can move the cost over to the more expensive model. Right, Sam. We're running out of time here, but real quick, tell us. Tell I have this sense that twenty twenty two is going to be a pivotal year in terms of determining public acceptance of electric vehicles. So many new models are going to be available. The Ford F-150 Lightning is going to be available to purchase and drive. It seems like if, if we're going to know anything about electric vehicles and how well they're going to be accepted, we're going to know this very soon. Uh, absolutely. When Tesla came out with the Model S, uh, I questioned it because the market was already obviously going towards crossovers. So why don't you introduce in the heart of the marketplace. And then they came out with the, the Model X and eventually the Model Y. Yeah. So they did hit that market. But now we're looking at pickup trucks. We're looking at the F-150. We're looking at the Rivian. We're looking at uh, upcoming Chevys and GMCs. So this is ab- absolutely the core of the American buyer. And so if, if these vehicles become a hit, we know that there's a, a way to move electric vehicles down into other niches uh, across all the crossover sizes, uh, all the price points of vehicles, and uh, and potentially uh, making it uh, a sizable portion of the market up from the 3% it is today. Sam, we've run out of time, but before we go, tell us all about Auto, Auto Forecast Solutions. Auto Forecast Solutions provides uh, data and analysis for the auto industry. We, we talk to suppliers and manufacturers and anyone related to the automotive industry. Uh, We have a suite of software products that back up all our data, and uh, we've been doing this a long time, so we live and breathe automotive. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the AFS Vision podcast, which I enjoy. We like to uh, educate everybody, especially the industry, but uh, consumers can pick up pieces as well. When we talk about uh, our latest one was about the Great Wall, a Chinese uh, startup, not a startup. They've been around for 20 plus years, but uh, they're making a a move into the global markets. So we're looking forward to how they tackle uh, approaching Europe and eventually North America. Well, Sam, we're out of time, but it was good talking to you. We will have you on early next year to talk about uh, everything we need to expect going forward. Uh, Have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas to all. Happy holidays and uh, Happy New Year to, to all of you. 
Well, thank you. He is Sam Fiorani. He is with Auto Forecast Solutions. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Hey, Jill, how, how can folks best keep track of your social media activity? Uh, you can keep track of me by looking for my name, so Jill Simonello. I'm pretty much Jill Simon, at Jill Simonello on all of my social handles, so J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Uh, kind of like Mississippi with all those eyes, and I use the hashtag Car Du Jour, and uh, I am on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. So you can find me there, Jill Simonello. Sounds good. Hey, Damon, you tweet exclusively in iambic pentameter. What's that about? <laughs> da, 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 da. Sorry. I can't, I, I can't even, the only thing that comes into my head is is haikus, <laughs> I, should, I should really know what iambic pentameter is, but it's like high school algebra. It's been so long since I've thought about it, I can't even remember. Well, I guess it's largely a Shakespearean thing. I don't know that a lot of other authors ever embraced it. But what yeah. is it? Is it is it five syllables or something? No, or Jill something had it right. It's ten syllables with alternating stress. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jill was exactly you doing a- the demo I read. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. You'd think as an English major, I would have a better handle on that, but college was a long time ago. <laughs> High school was a long time ago. Anyway, you can find me at Damon Bell Likes Cars on Twitter. I don't know right. if that's iambic pentameter or not. I'm sure it was. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. All right, it's quiz time. Uh, today's quiz is which came first, special fun edition. Oh. I hope you kids are ready. Special fun? Yeah, special fun edition of which came first. That feels like special fun is just something you totally made up. What it makes is. it special fun? Okay. Because we've done a which came first before, so I needed something to separate this one in my notes. Gotcha. Okay. So this is the special fun edition. Sure. It sounds great. Okay. You should get into marketing. Wait. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the next one is going to be. Even Instead more of the special, special fun. fun, or or the the awful edition, I don't know. The ultra dull edition. Yeah. Extra extra special fun with no e, just starts with the X. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Remember how we we talked about how we had to I go did. quicker in this segment? Yes. I did. I did. We we blown that. <laughs> All right. All right, Damon. This question goes to you first. Damon, which came first, the BMW X3 or the Chrysler PT Cruiser? Oh, man, that is a great question. Oh, God, that is such a good question. PT Cruiser, I want to say, was 98? No, I'm, God, no, I think PT Cruiser was 2001. When did the X3 come out? I'm going to say PT Cruiser was first. All right, Jill, this question goes to you. Which came first? We are talking about first model year, uh, Chrysler PT Cruiser or BMW X3 in the U.S.? In in the U.S., yeah, I I think I have to agree with Damon because I know the PT Cruiser was already out when I first moved to Chicago, and I don't remember the X3 being out yet. So, 
Yeah. Well, you're both correct. The PT Cruiser came out for 2001. The very good looking first generation of the X3 2004. You're both on the board. Mm. Jill, this question goes to you. Jill, which came first, the Nissan Murano or the Lincoln MKZ? Ooh. MKZ, which has waffled names and became the Zephyr at one point. Um, or Actually, right? it MKZ. launched as the Zephyr. It launched as the Zephyr. And so you're not talking about the Zephyr. You're talking about the MKZ. Nope. Okay. So then I'm going to say the Murano. Murano. Damon, this question goes to you. Nissan's very strange looking first crossover, the Murano, or Lincoln's sort of half effort. <laughs> Uh, mid-size luxury sedan, the MKZ. I, I don't think the Murano is that strange looking. It was kind of. It was at the time. Okay. It was weird at the I, time. I will. I will agree with Jill and say the Murano came first. You guys are both correct. The Murano was 2003. The MKZ was 2006. It is tied two to two. No one has gotten a question wrong. Question three, Damon. Which came first, the Chevrolet Cobalt? Or the movie Waitress, starring Carrie Russell and Nathan Fillion. Oh gosh, boy! Now you just now you, you you're crossing categories now. I know this is so not bit, fair. Because yeah. I said it was special fun. Uh, you said Chevy. You did say that, and you're yeah, Chevy you're Cobalt. True to that promise, uh, Waitress. Cobalt. I feel like Cobalt was was that 05? And Carrie Russell was big a waitress. I don't. I have no idea when that movie came out. Um, I'm gonna say the Cobalt came first. Jill, this question goes to you. Waitress, also starring Andy Griffith, or the <laughs> Chevrolet Cobalt? Really? Andy yeah. Griffith wasn't. So the question well. is, when did Andy Griffith die? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I, you know what? I've never heard of this movie. I have no idea what it is. Um, but I feel that Damon is right on the timing of the Cobalt because they because that's the what came after the Cavalier. Um, yep, yep. replace the Cavalier. My very first car was a Cavalier. Uh, so let's see. Um, yeah, I've, I've you know, because somebody's got to get one wrong sometime, I'm taking one for the team and I'll go with Waitress. Well, thanks for taking over for the team. The Cobalt did come first. Damon is winning three to two. Mm. When did Waitress come out? Oh, 2007. Huh. And what the Cobalt was 2005? 2005. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, Jill, this question goes to you. I know you've got this one nailed. Which came yeah. first, the Chevrolet Monte Carlo or the Wendy's Frosty? Wendy's Frosty. Is that your final answer? You're making me second guess it by asking me if that's my final answer, but I'm going to say what? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Damon, which came first, the Chevrolet Monte Carlo or the Wendy's Frosty? Monte Carlo was 1970. I don't think Wendy's even launched as a brand until after 1970. So I'm going to say uh, the Monte Carlo was first. Oh, Jill gets this one. The Frosty oh. debuted for 1969. The Monte Carlo for 70. You guys are tied with one question to go. So, fun fact about the Frosty. Uh -huh. um, my parents are from Lima, Ohio, and there was a restaurant there called Cupies that had Frosties before Frosties for Wendy's existed. And uh, the... Um, 
Dave Thomas, the rumor is Dave Thomas, who founded Wendy's, used to work at a QP's and then left QP's and basically modeled Wendy's off of that. So interesting. Interesting. So, I did I was not aware that Wendy's launched that early. They must have been quite regional for a while. They were for a long time. Yeah. Because yeah. they didn't pour into Illinois really until the eighties. Yeah, I don't think they got to my neck of the woods uh, until that time either. Yeah, and I think Frosty's or um, Cupies is still just there's like a couple of chains in Ohio. So, yep. Sorry, digression. Every but, Cupies, yep. every Cupies is is located next to Alums. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Yes. <laughs> All right, Damon. Which came first, the Mercedes Benz SLR McLaren, or the debut of the Sopranos? Uh, gosh. Boy, I have no idea. That's got to be fairly close. This is a total guess. I will say... I will say the McLaren... Oof. I will say the McLaren came first. All right, Jill, the McLaren... Uh, the Mercedes-Benz SLR McLaren, hyper-collectible now, or the debut of the Sopranos? Golly, I don't know when the... McLaren came out, but I remember the Sopranos being a thing when I was too poor to afford cable. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go because that was a long time ago. I'm gonna go. Well, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the Sopranos. Jill, you have won the quiz today. The Sopranos <laughs> debuted for 1999. The McLaren uh, debuted in the U.S. for 2005. It is four to three in favor of Jill. Nice wow. job. Wow, the Sopranos the was club. 1999? I checked that several times because it seems so long ago. Yeah, because I remember I, I was... I would have never guessed that. Yeah. No, I was living in Indianapolis, I remember, and I couldn't, I, like, I didn't, I couldn't afford cable. So, yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We move on to the bonus question because that's what we do. This is the first ever listener-contributed bonus question. This one comes from oh. Harper Appel, a college student, uh, <laughs> college student from Palatine, Illinois. No relation. No, no other relation. No though. Just a faithful listener. Yes. <laughs> she is not my daughter. All right, Jill, this question <laughs> goes to you first. Jill, which is... This is a great question. Jill, which is not a featured Iowa State Fair event? Are you ready? Mm, okay, totally ready. Chicken wrangling, mutton busting, cow chip throwing, or outhouse racing? Uh, I'm going to say the mutton busting because I don't know that Iowa is a place that would have mutton. All right. Damon, this question goes to you. Which is not a featured Iowa State Fair event? Chicken wrangling, mutton busting, cow chip throwing, and outhouse racing. Well, tell me the first two again. Chicken, <laughs> the chicken racing or mutton busting? I think it's between the two of those. It's I chicken have been to wrangling, the, chicken wrangling, wrangling, or mutton busting. Yes, mutton busting. I've been to the Iowa State Fairgrounds many a time, but never for the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> I wish you would have said butter sculpting because I know that's actually a thing. Um, I uh, chicken. I'm gonna agree with Jill. I think and say mutton busting. Mutton busting is a real event, and I recommend to everyone that they watch uh, mutton busting on YouTube. Uh, it is kids bronco busting sheep, and it is very entertaining. Hmm. Wow. 
Chicken wrangling is the fake. Couch chips. Oh, oh, that that was my other guess. Not that it would have made a difference. Yeah, and outhouse racing is real too. Damon, we have almost no time left. But what's going on at the CG Daily Drive? Uh, got a number of good articles this week, including, of course, our first spin of that new WRX that we talked about in the first segment. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got a test drive review of the 2022 Volkswagen Tiguan SELR line. Tiguan uh, is Volkswagen's compact SUV. Gets a slight styling refresh and uh, some revamped interior stuff for 22. We've also got a test drive review of the new for 2022 Genesis GV70, a fabulous new mm. uh, luxury compact SUV that we named a Consumer Guide Best Buy its first year out. And finally, we've got a face-off article uh, comparing the yeah. Infiniti Q50 midsize sedan and the Q60 uh, Coupe. Uh, those are share a basic platform. The Q60 is the coupe version of the Q50. Neither one is at the cutting edge of the market these days, but it's still very interesting to look at those two cars side by side. No, and this is this is to a nice little tribute to a dying breed of cars because mm-hmm. sedans and 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 companion coupes are kind of a dead thing. This is really the last of a of a generation of vehicles, and For this is sure. a great thing to to check back on. I want to yeah. talk later about the the Tiguan when we have a chance, the three of us, because for whatever that vehicle is, it doesn't feel like a Volkswagen to me anymore, and I think that's to the vehicle's detriment. It's just mm-hmm. not that spirited or fun to drive. The drivetrain isn't as snappy, and, and, and the steering's a little too light. And I just remember up until this point in time, Volkswagens used to always feel reliably like Volkswagens, which is to say German, sporty, fun, and I'm not finding that here. Hmm. I don't think I've driven the Tiguan recently, so I'll have to get yeah. my hands on one to see if you were correct. Yeah, let me yeah. know. I might say the same thing about the Taos, the new smaller than Tiguan yeah. Volkswagen SUV, too. Very much. Makes me, makes me long for the days of the Volkswagen Golf, which sadly, <laughs> the, the plain old garden variety Golf, which sadly we don't get anymore. Anyway, yeah. guess what we did? We talked too much. Uh, well, yet again. Well, we talked just the right amount of time, oh. actually. <laughs> so happy holidays, guys. Merry Christmas. Thanks for everything. Yes. Yeah, happy holidays. We will happy. record a show next week. Yes. Yes. All right. That's right. So we have one more uh, show in uh, 2021 before we close out this weird, weird year. Weird, weird mm-hmm. year indeed. All right. Thanks to our guest today, Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Damon. Thanks to the good folks here at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. And a special shout out to my radio mentor, Stephen Johnny. And, and this is a big deal, if you want to be added to the Car Stuff mailing list, and you kind of do, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right. Let's talk more about cars again next week. <laughs> <laughs>